So, Berto, I have some emails here, and I also just want to chat with you about the you know, 12th year anniversary uh, sh- live stream that we did recently. What do you say, Berto? Let's, let's answer emails, and let's do a postmortem on the, the 12-hour live stream we did. Yeah, it's, a long, it's been a long time since we've had a long conversation, so yeah, let's do it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirkhanda. I'm a therapist, and I'm also a professor. Who are you, Berto? My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I make pink ice cubes. So this first email is from patron Marta. She writes, any suggestions on, or research on, or your own insight on why immigrants discriminate against each other? And so, sorry, I'm, <laughs> I'm answering. Okay. Any suggestions um, on why immigrants discriminate against other immigrants in the United States? Berto, as an immigrant to the United States, what are your thoughts on this? I can't speak for every community of immigrants. I can say that in my experience uh, with some of the subsets of the Latin community, I especially saw this in in Florida, by the way, um, and maybe they're outgrowths of what we left from where we came from. So uh, when I was growing up in Colombia, the there was always this feeling of like, look, I'm going to look after my family and like the people I know and everyone else be damned. And it sounds cruel, but I think that that sentiment was there because like society wasn't there seemingly to help you very much. And so if you, someone's like coming into your store and you don't know them, it's like, uh, I don't know that, you know, like how much does this cost? Uh, for you, probably double because I don't know you. <laughs> um, so then I moved to this country and I remember experiencing, especially when I would visit my aunt in Florida, this sense that like a lot of folks in the community almost were trying to make sure you didn't get ahead of them. And I think it was, it comes from a place of scarcity. So like maybe leaving a place of scarcity and then feeling like, okay, you know, no one's ever looking out for us. So we got to look out for each other and we got to be on our toes because people are going to try to take our stuff. Um, So that was my experience. That said, um, I, I also remember in New York when I was little feeling like there was also a lot of that distrust. Um, I, I remember a lot of little conversations and things amongst the adults and um, areas you could go to and could not go to. And so I don't know, like my experience honestly has been w- that with the Latin communities in New York and Florida that there was a lot, and this is a while ago, granted, but that there was a lot of distrust and almost people trying to like, you know, muscle above the, the other to try to get ahead. Uh, and I, I, I can sort of understand because, like I said, that we came from a place of scarcity. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Other ideas are that racism exists in every society. And so if you, for example, come from Brazil or Colombia, it's not like those societies are um, not racist against black people, for example. So if a Colombian or Brazilian, not all of them, obviously, uh, but on average come to the United States, their viewpoint about white people is going to be different than their viewpoint about black people. So that, and that's just another reason. Another reason is that immigrants will assimilate the, uh, culture, the mainstream culture, to avoid being targets of 
of victimization from a society. And one of the ways that you can actually assimilate is to adopt the culture's racist ideas. Um, you know, especially if you're if you can if you can pass as a white person. You know, if you're Polish or you're you know from Russia or you're from you know I don't know Uzbekistan or something. Uh, especially if you're second generation and you don't have an accent particularly, then you might have this, um, you know, motivation to say, hey, I'm one of you and huh. I, I'm one of you. I, I look like you. I have an accent like you. I drive a car like you and I'm racist like you. So please accept me into your mainstream society because I want all the benefits thereof. You know what I mean? Right. So there's a lot of reasons why immigrants would discriminate against other immigrants in the U.S. All right, Berto, um, let's talk postmortem here. What does postmortem exactly mean, by the way? Do you know? Do you know like the from the Latin? It means after death. I know, but but why would we call it a postmortem when we just you know like uh, are talking about? Well, Something it's like the happened. patient or the the patient has died, and now we're going to try to understand what happened. So our our, our live podcasts, twelve hour podcasts, died. Yeah, and but people use it in this context, right? They'll be <laughs> yeah, like, of course, you know, totally. we just had an event. Let's do a postmortem. Yeah, or is, is there another is there another phrase that people use that I'm mixing this up with? No, no, postmortem is absolutely right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. now granted, it can have a little bit of a it can have a little bit of a negative connotation, meaning like something didn't quite go according to plan. So we're going to have a postmortem. Um, that happens a lot in the tech industry, you know, like you have a project and then you do a postmortem. But it's not always negative. It's like it could just be because you're analyzing what worked, what didn't work, what you could do differently next time. Maybe I just coming from Seattle and I'm around so many Microsofties and Amazonians <laughs> and Facebookies. What, what's the, what are the words for the Facebooks people? And the Googleians <laughs> and, and the Googleites, you know, because we've been calling them Microsofties for twenty five years. So I just yeah. figured that there should be other words, you know. Anyway, so let's do a postmortem uh, of a, something that went really well. Um, we talked about this, Berto, but, but correct me if I'm wrong, because we kind of did a postmortem right afterwards. You know, we continued having our scotch and our our what you were drinking scotch. You were drinking Japanese. I was drinking Japanese scotch. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I got we, a little hammered <laughs> and we just uh, hung out for a while that this was the second funnest event we've ever done, which is saying a lot. Yeah, that is. I wasn't expecting it, you know, in a way, because I thought, well, I mean, we got to go through this. But I was looking at it a lot more like running a marathon, you know, like I'm not going to do that well, but I'm going to get through it. <laughs> yeah. But it was really good. It was I. I don't know. It was so positive for the most part, and people had you know really supportive reactions, and um, I think we had some really interesting conversations. The little music bits were great. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. For those who don't know, it'd be weird if you didn't. But we had a twelfth year. We've been doing the podcast for twelve years this month in August, and we did a twelfth year anniversary. And we always do since the 10 year anniversary, we've been doing events and uh, we did a 12 hour live stream on YouTube. So Berto 12 and I, hours. <laughs> Berto and I were in front of our cameras uh, live streaming for 12 hours straight with just bathroom breaks of which 
we collectively probably had like seven or something. No, dude. Actually, I I realized after the fact. I'm like, man, I need to have like little timers because I only went twice, <laughs> and each time it was like a racehorse. Like I was like, I didn't know I could hold so much fluid in my body. Not yeah. good. <laughs> well, why? Like, were you just not feeling the pangs of having to pee or what was going I on? I think because I'm sitting here and this is a super comfy chair and I'm like all excited about stuff. And, and time was flying. Like yeah. we commented on this a lot. So I didn't even notice. And I, the whole time I was sitting there drinking, like at first I drank my shake, even though I spilled some on my keyboard. And then I was drinking like lots of water. I kept having water. And so <laughs> I didn't notice. But by the, by the second, actually even the first time, I'm like, oh my gosh, I really should have gone sooner. <laughs> yeah, I went a lot more often than you did. I remember that yeah. uh, because I was drinking, I think, even more liquids. I had coffee and yeah, Coke yeah. and all these other things that caused... It's hilarious. You know, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> time flew by. I remember at the four-hour mark thinking it felt like just 45 minutes had passed. Yeah. And I think a big part of it was that we always had something to do, right? Every hour yeah. I had, you know, these set schedule of things to do. And so it just, it, it was, it was like, um, and I wonder if marathon runners feel this way where you just one foot in front of the other, you know, you just have this plan. And, and when you have a, when you follow a plan, you don't really notice. Whereas if you're just sitting there and you're bored, you don't know what to do, or it's not very interesting, you know, because I tried to plan yeah. a lot of things that you and I would get jazzed about. And so uh, the time flew by. Oh, actually, I can relate a little bit to that. So uh, the most I've run, I haven't run a full marathon, but I ran 20 miles one time. And uh, there were seven miles of that 20 miles that flew by as opposed to the other ones. And the reason is because the scenery was spectacular for those seven miles. And I think it had a huge impact because basically I was always like looking around and the, oh, look, an eagle. Oh, look, the horizon, oh, the sunset, the thing, whatever. It was just like all beautiful. And there were so many things to notice. And so I think I enjoyed it a lot more and time flew by. And then during our, our 12 hours, one of the things I kept commenting on, because every time you're like, okay, Berto, it's time for you to play another song. And I was like, what do you mean? Like I just played <laughs> it was just bizarre i think that you're right that the fact that we had regular things that we kept doing they just kept coming up coming up coming up and it's a testament to one how much you and i can talk and two how yeah. entertained we are with each other because <laughs> yeah. if it was someone else i think i would have <laughs> been kind of lolling off to sleep at times but <laughs> Because we could have gone on more hours and, and probably been okay. But I will say that the last two hours, it got rough for me. You know, It got rough. Like yeah. ten, 10 hours in, I was like, man, this was easy. Yeah. And then something happened around, you know, one and a half hours left, about, you know, hour 10 and a half that I, I remember my brain just starting to turn off. Because, you know, your brain's... It, it runs out of juice, like fuel, oh, yeah. and, and you, it gets overworked. And yeah. And I was doing more brain power than you were because I was I was keeping track of all the little things and blah blah blah. And, I mean, you were certainly doing a lot of thinking too. I could tell, but I think I was probably. Hey, you doing... gave me a cognitive test, damn it! <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, but it takes, anyway, the point is, is that I felt my brain turn off at a certain point. And yeah. so the next day we woke up in the morning and, uh, talking to Stacy about it and my wife, cause she was with us the whole time, uh, which was interesting. And I asked her, I was like, so were you like emailing with people and stuff? Because I can't imagine that we were keeping your attention. She's like, no, I mean, 99% of the time I was just. I was just paying attention to what was going on. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you know, so for 12 hours, she just sat on the other side of my monitor, just, just, <laughs> you know, being there with us the whole time. Well, we had people there. We had listeners the whole time. Some of, quite a few listeners the whole time. Yeah. It seemed that maybe 30 plus individuals were there from minute one until oh, 12 hours God. later. Yeah, it That's was incredible, you know, because we gave away swag to people who yeah. had all the answers. And there were like dozens of people who had all the answers. But anyway, but I asked Stacy, I said, so in the last couple hours, did it did it go off the rails? Because in, in my memory, because my brain had turned off. But I also remember Berto and I just started singing songs and stuff. Yeah. We pulled out our guitars and we were just like. Okay, I'm going to sing a Smashing Pumpkins song now, and Berto's <laughs> going to sing this other song. And I, and so normally when I ask my wife questions like this, um, I can really count on her to to err on the side of niceness. You know, she'll, she'll be like, right. no, no, it was fine. You know, she, uh, there's so many times when I, I'm worried about something, and I'll ask her, I'll be like, so was that kind of dumb? She'll be like, no, it was fine. This time she's like, immediately, she's like, yeah, went off the rails in the last hour and a half. <laughs> she's like, yeah, it, com- it completely went off the rails. Um, you guys were, you know, it wasn't as exciting. It wasn't as interesting in the last couple hours as it was the first 10. And, and I, I did see, people, though, I, I, I saw I, a couple of comments of people saying, like, oh, I love the songs at the end. And unfortunately, the, the stream that was posted the last two songs we played, which were both, uh, uh, I think they were both Elliot Smith, got cut off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, some people were really happy, you know, that yeah. we went into that world. But I imagine there was a whole other group of people yeah. that were just like, now these two are just, you know, uh, playing solitaire with themselves, <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway, um, so next time... I want to do the same thing, but we're going to do 13 hours, obviously. But I want to incorporate more pictures, more videos, yeah. more guests. And I want to focus on Q&A because yeah. I, I feel like we didn't, get an, we didn't have enough Q&A, honestly. And we needed one final uh, countdown that was maybe even our best one. Right. Because it's like we had great countdowns and then the last hour we sort of didn't have one to do. Right. Yeah. I think you did one about therapy and stuff, but like we needed one last Cres- big bang. Crescendo, yeah. Something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I need some. I need to plan something to do in the final half hour so that yeah. it, it doesn't just kind of peter out. Yeah. Right. Um, I want to have awards, you know, for important people like FPL and Colin and these people. But the thing I wanted to talk with you uh, about today, Berto, and res- well, do you have anything more to say about the the twelve hour? Well, actually, one one thing that I thought was really interesting was that the um, th- so there were a lot of things that as we were doing them, I was thinking, man, is this interesting? Like, how can this be that interesting? Uh, and I felt really self conscious, like this is really narcissistic <laughs> like we're just like here's what i like here's my top 12 of this here's that um at the same time though 
like, you know, because we, we intersperse commentary. And a lot of times I'm like, well, I, I like this because of this. Because when I was a kid, I did this and that. And what I realized is like, actually, this is a lot of the stuff that I, I enjoy too when I'm watching YouTube is I want to hear how people think. And I want to hear what they think about things. So sure, it is their opinions, but that's what I want to hear. Yeah, there's a fine so, line between yeah. those two of having it being interesting to to hear someone's opinion yeah. and being completely bored with someone's opinion. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, I think you and I have... Uh, you know, mostly figured that out over 12 years. I don't know if we were that good at it seven or eight years ago. I I think we're much better at it now. And look, Um, if it was entertaining 10 out of 12 hours, like that's not bad. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it felt good. I mean, the, the, the reason, the reasons why it was our second favorite event, we've had, uh, we've had a number of events, but really four are the biggest we had our very first live show uh, two and a half years ago, and that was our most that was our favorite event of all time because we didn't know if anyone would come. Yeah, uh, Berto and I had never done anything like that before. I we totally I think pulled it off. <laughs> I mean, it didn't just <laughs> it didn't just go like okay. It was amazing. I felt like we did a great job on stage. We had great chemistry. The the crowd participation yeah. was amazing. The plan went really well. Uh, the after party, you know, it was just a glorious moment of uh, extravaganza of. Right. And it was the first time we'd met really any of the listeners. Yeah. And people flew from all over <laughs> the world, from you yeah. know, Ireland and California and, you know, Canada. And it was a complex thing to pull off. I mean, you had like this arranged. It's, it's not like you didn't think it all through. It was a well-structured plan. We did kind of go over it. But it was, it's not like, I mean, yes, you and I have played in bands and you and I do presentations. You you teach all these kinds of things. But we we don't like do live events. Like no. that's not our thing. Yeah, this was essentially <laughs> like 70% stand-up comedy and 30% psychology, you know? Right. And... I have no experience in stand-up comedy, no. and so or entertaining crowds, you know. And and if you had framed it that way, like I would have been like, I don't think we can do that. Yeah, but it, you know, it ended up being that way. Anyway, yeah. so that felt really good. Our second live show was basically a facsimile of the first, and yeah. it it was also great, but it just felt like a lesser version yeah. of the first version. And then our third event was the eleven hour live stream, which was last year, and that one that was great. That that, that was, was amazing. <laughs> but there were a couple things that didn't go well because I just hadn't really gotten used to the form yet, and um, actually the microphones were completely screwed up the entire time. Oh my god! <laughs> and I uh, tried to involve like too much complexity even though on paper it didn't seem that complex because like yeah because like people came over right and yeah yeah we had guests we had guests that came over and it seems like yeah that shouldn't be a problem but it just really threw me and because the more remember we were we were gonna actually go on location at one point yeah it was the the original ideas were like oh what and then at one point we'll go and we'll go get food or we'll do this and we'll yeah. Yeah, it it it's it's always it always sounds like it's fun but when I'm the only producer, I'm the producer, yeah. I'm the tech person, I'm I'm tech support 
and I'm the main and I'm the agenda setter. I'm the main host, you know, like it. So I learned from my mistakes. And for our 12 hour, I decided to have it be as simple as possible. And it was very simple. It was almost too simple. I think I could complicate well, it a little bit more. you delegated some things to me, like, okay, like, hey, write songs, come right. up with drawings, th- things like that. Yeah, and you really roasted the occasion. I had no idea you, you were going to uh, put so much heart and soul into the drawings and the songs. The, you know, oh, that, yeah, that, man. That was just amazing. Um, but yeah, it felt good because another reason why I felt great is because, you know, we have a lot of new YouTube fans. And so the live stream was convenient, you know, because last year for the 11 hour live stream, we were basically trying to pull people away from podcast apps to yeah. to YouTube. And so there were right. fewer people that were going to do that. Now we have people who only know us from YouTube. In fact, yeah. statistically, I would guess that 98% of the people that know about us only know us through YouTube. <laughs> yeah. And, so and a lot of them only know that you, about you. Right. <laughs> and so we had a couple of... It, actually, to be honest, it didn't happen as much as I thought it would. And it's probably because the people that would tune into a 12-hour thing are probably like the more longer-term fans. But it did happen a few times where it's like, who is that person next to Dr. Honda? <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, everyone was really great. And... Uh, the the number of people was you know exhilarating you know is that we had I think uh, at any given moment I think there was like four hundred to five hundred people and we had I think tens of thousands of people overall you know sort of dipping in and out and by the way the the um, I love our community too overall because there was a comment I'm sure you I don't know if you saw the comments in the in the the repost, but one of the comments was, uh, Dr. Honda, I love your, um, I love your videos, but this was just a cringe fest or something like that, or this was just cringe worthy. And then like, like eight, eight replies going like, what are you talking about? Like, it like totally came to our defense. Oh yeah. This was, I love the doc's videos, but man, this whole thing was awkward and cringy. And then all the replies are like, for the old viewers, this is normal. And the commenting videos is the new thing. And the other is like, you must be new here. Two good friends having a whale of a time. What's so cringy about it? And like on and on. It's like, I just love that. It's like, yeah. Now, of course, people are entitled to their opinion. And of course, if you came for a specific thing and that's not what you wanted, of course. But I, I thought that overwhelmingly positivity came out of the people participating. What so. would possibly be cringy about it? improvised it's not a well i don't i have no idea <laughs> i mean i don't know yeah i mean it must be that they were expecting it to just be me being like a stuffy professor i suppose maybe but i mean you're not i wouldn't say I know. you're a stuffy professor in your other videos i know like, and so, if, if anything sorry but like the content you're reviewing that's awkward and cringy. Like those, <laughs> those TV shows are awkward and cringy. But anyways, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, I, you know, that hurts to, to have someone <laughs> like s- comment publicly that our 12 hour uh, anniversary show is cringy for them. Like they were, they're in, like ashamed of me or something. Like what, why? Right. Right. But it was one comment and, quickly rebutted by eight people and 
all the other comments were like, I'm so glad you guys uploaded this. Uh, you know, like, because you know, I don't, I don't read a lot parties. of the comments because because of those bad ones. That I can't sleep at night when I read those bad ones. Like all the comments are positive. That's the only one. Okay, like, you guys are savages. The courage you have to tell about your most embarrassing moments. <laughs> uh, you know, love interacting with you guys made my work from home day much more exciting. All right, thank you. I'll be able so, to sleep you know. sleep at night. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so the amount of people, it was great. Uh, the fact that I had ironed out all the wrinkles from previous, you know, iterations of this event. The fact that I didn't have to do an after event. So that was, you know, because of the pandemic. And also, I think I would have opted for this anyway. Uh, this was the first time we didn't do a live after. Because even yeah. after the 11-hour live stream, we had an after event. That's right. That's right. And after events, live, like in-person events are so stressful for me to plan because I have to get a venue. I have to figure out, you know, is it conducive to parking? And, and that's a liability, honestly. Like yeah. even last year, I, I had fun, but it's a liability. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it, it particularly it's, so it's a liability for both of us. For me, yeah. it's a liability because one, I have to, decide where it's going to be and it's and i and i don't want to have to shell out thousands of dollars for a venue and like you know pay employees and everything if i don't know who's coming and i don't want to charge tickets it's a liability because i don't know if anyone wants to come it's a liability because for me because after these you know 11 hours i just want to relax yeah yeah. you know i just want to i just don't want to have to think and i but it's a liability for you because you're Mr. Entertainer, and so when we go to these live events, like you, you take on the role of it. Because in my head, whenever I think about these after events, I think, okay, we're going to get together, and it'll just we'll just chill. It'll just be relaxing, and we'll. Talk. But no, you and I show up, and everyone wants to talk to us naturally. Yeah, and. I they you know maybe flew in from out of town or at least drove in from out of town, and I feel obligated to entertain everyone. So do you, yeah. and particularly yeah. you, because you're just better at that. And so we go from eleven hours of live streaming to even more intense, you know, yeah. social extroversion, socializing. Yeah. It's hard <laughs> trying to make everyone feel like we interacted with each person, yeah. and so. Now, having said that, those events were wonderful in a lot of ways. You know, Hallie was there, Zach was there, uh, Bree was there, you know, um, uh, Laurie was there. You know, it was great to actually meet people face to face and and people were great and they didn't put any pressure on us, but uh, Taylor was there. Anyway, there was, there was, uh, it was stressful for me. Anyway. Yeah. But this time, (laughs) we just you know, jumped off of the live stream and you and I just kicked back, had some snacks, yep. you know, uh, talked, and just reminiscing. Yeah. And so <laughs> it, that was really great too. Looked uh, at pictures. We looked at pictures. Right. We looked well. at, yeah, we looked at old pictures and stuff anyway, but this leads me to the other thing I want to talk about. Cause one of the things that you've been working on for a while now is your own YouTube channel. That's right. And you and I have had, you know, some conversations about like, well, what are you going to do with your YouTube channel? And because yeah. there's so many options, right? Because you're a big YouTube consumer. You, you Very big. Yeah. You know, me too. Like, 
you you listen you watch a lot of and have been a lot of yeah. different political video games nerd stuff movies yeah. uh you know just every science you've been paying attention to various different youtube you know uh mini culture developments over time and so in the beginning you started with your youtube channel talking about a tv show that you liked and yeah, a year ago. That's why I wanted to start it. I had seen this TV show uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to talk about this with Kirk, but like, I, I couldn't get you interested in watching it. And plus, I, I just like had to get it out. And um, and it was a pretty lewd TV show anyway. So I was like, damn it, I'll just make a video. And that's how it started. Yeah. And then you started doing videos about nerd stuff like He-Man. He-Man, 80s things I loved. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they were kind of like mini essays in a sense. They weren't just you going like, He-Man, da-da-da. You were like, you had kind of a an artsy approach to the whole thing. <laughs> and then and then uh, you kind of put the YouTube channel on pause for a while. Yeah. And then uh, the Psychology in Seattle YouTube uh, channel took off with reaction videos that I was making. And then you started making reaction videos to my reaction videos. Right. The the way I started was actually because someone made a reaction video to your reactions. It was this Uber fan from Germany or something. And someone linked it on Facebook. And I was like, that's bizarre. So I, I decided I was going to make a reaction video to their reaction video of your reaction videos. Yeah. So that's the first one I posted. And then that got me interested in like, I did a reaction to the, the launch to the moon. And then I was like, well, what if I reacted? Because we talked about Ed and Rose in one of the episodes. So I was like, maybe I could react to his reaction of Ed and Rose. So I did a few. I think I did three reactions to your videos. Yeah. And, but during the 12-hour live stream, there were a few things where I thought afterwards and during, wow, this is something that is unique to you that could potentially be really wanted and needed on YouTube. The first thing is Hold, you... Holding my pee in for... <laughs> that, actually, there probably is. <laughs> uh, just a guy staring at the camera and like... Uh, like uh, I gotta go. Yeah. Really um, gotta go. <laughs> is writing music. The yeah. uh, process, because you wrote 12 songs for the 12-hour show and... Occasionally, you know, maybe half the time we would have a little conversation about like, how did you write that song and what were you thinking? Yeah. And, you know, and you wrote those 12 songs in a very short amount of time. It was like one day or something that you wrote. Yeah, them all. It was, I wrote, I wrote basically nine songs on Sunday, the, the previous Sunday. And then I wrote the remaining ones on the Monday. And then I practiced them for the remainder of the week just so I could you know, get through them. <laughs> yeah. And it's pretty amazing because each one of the songs was different. The lyrics were different. The, the, they sounded like fully fledged chords and m melodies. You know, they, they weren't just rudimentary songs that one would record if you, if you had to come up with a song very quickly, you know? Sure. Um, so I was thinking, and, and, you know, it's obviously up to you, but, and we've talked about this briefly, but uh, I want the listeners to chime in about this for Birdo to make YouTube videos. Like, 
they could there could be all sorts of different formats but one of the um one of the youtube a few of the youtube channels that i like is basically to observe the construction of something so yeah so you would film you you you, you know you pick up your guitar you your piano and you say okay uh, someone emailed me and they said to write a song about this topic and they want me to make it in this style. And then like <laughs> you go, well, okay, Elton John style. Okay, Elton John style and it has to be about about uh, deforestation. Okay, well what am I gonna <laughs> what am I gonna do here? Well, right. Elton John likes to do a lot of this stuff on piano and but Elton John also likes to do this and you know you can see your gears turning and you're like, well, if I did this and and then you turn off the record. It will go, we'll come back in about an hour and you turn it off and then you yeah. turn it back on and then you're like, okay, I came up with this because I <laughs> thought this would go well and this idea <laughs> about deforestation and about like Saturday nights uh, all right for fighting trees or something. <laughs> and so I decided to do that. Um, and I think I might be, but I don't like this. So maybe if I do, okay, I'll come back in another hour and you turn it off. Like I could see people being totally fascinated with that because the, the results of your songwriting is just so interesting. Like they're yeah, so, yep. I don't know what to say. Like they're so, um, sort of dynamic you know the end results mm. of what you make is so uh it's it's not boring you know the stuff that you write is very dynamic and sort of melodically interesting and rhythmically interesting and lyrically interesting that i could see people just totally being on board with that and then you could sprinkle in your personality you'd be like right well as a latin guy i like to do a little bit of this you know and then and then, <laughs> and then you can even do screenshots of you know using your recording software and putting right. in a drum track i mean people will just eat that crap up i think yeah no i think you well a i i think i had mentioned to you before uh that that was one of the ideas i had had i had sort of parked it because actually i don't know why but anyways i i was pleasantly surprised and humbled at both your reaction, and let me put it this way: I was pretty sure you'd be supportive no matter what I wrote. But um, when I went through and I started writing them, I wasn't initially tr- like I wasn't trying to write like really great songs or something. I was like, "All right, twelve songs, twelve keys. I'm going to write one per each key. Thirty seconds, go!" Right? Um, but uh, I think I mentioned as I started doing it, my little songwriter in me kicked in, and I was like, "Well." trying to make it sound good so maybe i'll do this and do that and and so i was pleasantly surprised i was also actually it was sort of a prototype of this type of thing that you're saying because in my mind i was thinking well when kirk asked me to play the songs i'll play the songs and then we'll move on with the content but i didn't expect that i would talk a little bit in fact you encourage like you might want to describe what the song's about um and as we started doing that i realized oh this is kind of interesting and yeah so i i agree it's something that I love doing. Uh, I think it could work well, so I'm gonna give it a go. I think yeah. it's absolutely playing to your strengths, and there are other, as you say, YouTube uh, channels that do this sort of thing. But no one yeah. would do it like you would do it. Yeah, obviously, I'll lean into because look, there's a, a billion like amazing jazz players and piano players all these things so obviously i'm not going to be like here watch my amazing chops it's really about what's the songwriting process and how does one take a burst of creativity and turn it into something with structure and like you said a little bit of like 
my personality and my stories and things like that. Yeah. So I mean, I don't. Do you know like of any it. YouTubers that are doing that sort of channel? Because I don't know about anyone who does songwriting like yeah. pro- processes and sprinkles in their own. I don't know anyone who does songwriting. I'm, yeah. I'm sure it exists, but you know, there's a lot of people playing drums or piano or they analyze well, music. So, or, so there are, but they're more advanced. It's like jazz. Like there, there are some that I've watched that are jazz and they'll explain how to, you know, they'll be like, look, I'm going to start with this theme and I'm going to add these jazzy transitions and now I'm going to make it more complex, which is super interesting. So I, I would just be approaching it from like, I'm just going to write like a pop song, like a, you know, a three minute pop song. And I'm actually not, not even going to write the whole three minutes. I'm just going to write like verse and chorus kind of, you know, kind of like what, what, what the exercise was. Right. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it's fun. I think if it were well done, I would watch it, you know, so yeah. I've wanted to do it before. Uh, so, yeah, it, this is great. Like, this gave me the opportunity to do a prototype of it. I think it worked well enough. So Because yeah. yeah. I think, I, you know, talking about, and this is, you know, your channel is yours, but I think the you talking about TV shows, it, you know, on paper, it seems like it would work, but... It seems like it's maybe too general or something, or it was too niche well, that, or something, or I don't know. No, that was the conclusion I reached. So, so first of all, I first thought, oh man, if Kirk is reacting to these videos and that gets a lot of views, should I react to these videos? But I decided against it for two reasons. One is, well, you have an angle. The way you do it, you have an angle. You're a therapist, a relationship therapist, and these are relationships. So I was like, okay, well, that that's already a, a gimmick, like a good gimmick, you know? Um, number one, number two, like, I, I don't know for how it is for you, but for me, it was actually kind of painful to get through the whole Ed and Rose watching thing. So I was like, I don't know if this is what, like, is this what I want to do? Whereas reacting to your videos was a little different. Cause it's like, you know, it's like, um, how do you call it? Like outtakes from a thing, you know, it's like here, if you're really into psychology in Seattle and you want to watch Bardo's outtakes of this thing, here's a couple of nuggets. And I could see myself doing that from time to time because it's kind of fun. But I'm mostly like piggybacking on something you did or said or whatever, right? And then I thought, well, what about other stuff? And I actually even joked with one of the listeners. I was like, oh, with Bronwyn. I was like, I got it. I'm going to react to like Richard Feynman lectures in black and white. And you know, I was thinking, well, what if I did react to weird things? But what I concluded was... If I ha- if I really feel strongly about something, like I felt strongly about the uh, protesting, so I reacted to something. So maybe I'll do that from time to time. But I, w- I wasn't sure, like I wasn't feeling it. The things that have worked well that I felt like this is me speaking honestly are whenever I have a topic. So I've, ha- I've had a few videos like that that I made in the last couple months, which were I'm going to talk about fear or I'm going to talk about goals. I'm going to talk about dreams, you know, and, I- and I've made a few of those and and it's mostly what I do in our podcast, which is I talk about my experiences, what I failed with, what I've tried to do, how I'm dealing with it now, with the hope that it'll help someone, right? But I think this angle is like its own thing. And I don't know if it becomes its own channel or if it's like a playlist at first and then maybe its own thing. I don't know. I'm going to try it though. I think you're on, you're on to something. I, I feel like it's worth a shot. Yeah. The other thing I think is worth a shot and we've talked about this briefly, is you playing video games. Now, there are a billion <laughs> Twitch streamers and YouTube people who play video games. So that's a harder situation to get into. But the reason why there are so many people doing it is because there's such a huge market for it. Yeah, I probably 
10% of the videos I watch on YouTube is probably watching other people play video games. Oh, really? Yeah, because I love strategy games. And so I, you know, I'll watch people play City Skylines for an hour. Or yeah. there's this one guy who does these weird challenges on Grand Theft Auto V where yeah. he tries to hide in cars from like 30 different other people. Um, and they, they have to try to find, and he could be anywhere, you know, he could be driving around like a, like a bot, like the way the bots drive, or he could just be in a bush somewhere and they have to try to find him. And so, uh, and I'll watch that for like an hour and a half. And so, uh, so anyway, there's just a lot of a big market for that. And I think what your niche is, is one, you have a lot of experience playing and sort of knowing the gaming industry. And, you know, you're a personality. So, like, say you're, <laughs> you're, you're playing uh, the newest Zelda Twitch game yeah. or something. Uh, I mean, a uh, Switch game. And, you know, as you're playing, you just start telling stories, you know, and, and you play yeah. it for a half an hour. There's a huge there's market any, for yeah. that just to watch you play a game anyway and, and to watch someone, and especially if it's a new game, right, that people might want to buy and you're pl- and you're trying it out. Um, you know, I don't know how yeah. exciting that is for you, but it'd be pretty easy. You just have to turn on yeah. the recorder and play a game. So I, 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 like I said to you the other day, I don't think there's any harm with me trying several things because my, I think. Oh, by the way, after the podcast, I, I think I was like at a hundred and twenty subscribers. I'm like at a hundred and eighty, so it's like sixty people signed up. <laughs> So like the point is like I don't you know my 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 uh channel is fledgling it's teeny. So I don't lose anything in trying things, you know. It's not like I'm going to lose half my subscribers. Right. Um these are very loyal loyal subscribers. So there's definitely no harm in trying things. Uh the only reason I was hesitating cuz with the music thing, A, it's an idea I've had, B, I think we just tried it and it sort of worked. Like I mean obviously in a different format but close to what and 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 see, I would love to do it. Like I feel excited about it. With the video games thing, what's tough is first of all, I'm not a I'm not a good video gamer. Like, you know, I'm I'm okay at certain things, and I do play games on hard and stuff like that. But I'm I'm not gonna no no actual really good video gamer is gonna watch me play going like, ooh, I can learn from this dude. So my angle would have to be a little different. And maybe you're onto something that, for example, I've never played Fortnite. I've never played Overwatch. I've never played any of these kind of quote unquote newer games. So maybe my angle is actually like Mr. Noob over here trying these games and commenting on it and see if that's interesting. I could record a few trial episodes and, you know, love your opinion, put them up, see if it gets a reaction. That's definitely a thing. The other angle I actually thought about, and it might be more niche, but maybe that's not a bad thing, is actually playing really old, like my color computer games uh, and maybe really old PC games. Yeah. Know? That might be, because then I don't have to be good. Like, I just, it's a different point. <laughs> yeah. You could just, or you could just play all Atari games or something. Yeah. Anyway, the other idea I had was, you know, we've, we, we've had, we have these big <laughs> aspirations of doing our Star Wars reaction videos, right? Right. And so we made one episode of us watching like the first half hour of episode one, which is yeah. Phantom Menace. <laughs> And we thought, well, we're going to go through all the Star Wars movies. Well, we recorded that four months ago or something. And really? I don't know, or th- oh, two, and a, two and a half months ago, who knows. We recorded another episode, and I lost the video. So oh, I that's so heartbreaking, because yeah. it was good. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah. <laughs> 
But I think we should... I'm going to throw this out here. I think we should skip to episode nine. Okay. Because have you watched it since it came out in the theater? When no, we saw it? I yeah. not. So you and I went to see it opening night, and you you didn't like it that much, and I hated it. <laughs> and I would love to rewatch it again. Yeah, and, actually, that's a good idea. And, and maybe if I try to remain open, you know, it'll be an emotional process, but I think we should just jump to episode we nine. do it, dude. And react to it. Yeah, like, I like that. Okay. I'd like that. I don't I don't mind finishing episode one sometime, but it is sort of uh it's not a timely thing for us to be doing. <laughs> right, right. And not as emotional, right? Because yeah, that's true. you were disappointed by that movie We've twenty years ago. That. Yeah. But I, I've actually what, kinda come out the other side. I'm like right. I'm still disappointed, son, but you know It's not that bad. <laughs> but episode nine, I mean, this was just what, eight months ago it came out, but yeah. Okay. So let's take a break. When we get back, let's answer some patron emails. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. We're back from the break. So if Jar Jar Binks was to ask people to come a patron of the podcast, what would he sound like? Have I already asked you to do that? No, let me do it. No, was... you shall never ask me to uh, okay. invite the patrons. Well, well, well Jar Jar, uh, convince the non-patrons listening right now to become a patron. Well, well, please. You, sir, if you walk around with duty on your head, you don't know how to live. You, sir, become patrons of the podcast. We, sir, recommend good ways to clean poopies off your, off your shoes and your head. Yeah. Ah! Become patron. <laughs> How rude. All right. How rude. Patron Shured from the Netherlands writes, I split with my ex two years ago. She really wants to stay friends, but I still have deep feelings and hurt when I see her name or picture. How do I deal with these, fir- with these feelings? Birdo or Jar Jar, what do you think? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Um, that's a tough one. So, like, uh, do you think it's a matter of... Like, not knowing how to process that? Or, like, do you think it's not having anyone to talk to about it? Uh, I don't know. All the above. I mean, you know, two years ago, and she still wants to be friends. And yeah. he has deep feelings and longing because, and, and then yeah. hurt whenever yeah, he, yeah. you know. And how do I deal with these feelings, he says. Yeah. Because, I mean, I, uh, I had... A, a feeling like that for a long time after my big first real big breakup. Um, but I had friends that I could talk to and I had friends that could tell me repeatedly, dude, you got to stop. You got to just forget about it or whatever. Um, and that helped. <laughs> Granted, I'm sure it wasn't like the most psychologically sound advice to just like, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. But at the same time, there was a sense of like, Man, you know, the world's keep going. Like, you can't just, like, spin in a circle. Um, so, I feel like uh, having folks, having people to talk to, maybe it's a therapist, maybe it's friends, maybe it's both. And also, um, airing it very, oh, that's an idea. Uh, writing about it or maybe even making a video about it or, you know, putting it out, right? Do some art, do some writing, do some... Like, get your feelings out on paper, essentially. Yeah. Uh, 
to piggyback on that is just to do what you can to heal and grieve, go to therapy. And it takes time. You know, uh, people will say like, dude, it's been two years. You're still busted up. Like uh, what's wrong with you? Or you might, you know, shame yourself. I'm here to tell you that there, there's a, there's going to be, you know, one to five breakups in your life that will last you your entire life. Yeah. Up until the last moments of your existence, (laughs) there is going to be busted up feelings about those relationships. And we have this notion in our society that, you know, time heals all wounds and you move on and, you know, maybe you you grieve for a few months, but, you know, you get over it and you move on. Um, That's not going to happen unless you you were unless you were the one that dumped them <laughs> or uh the relationship just didn't really you know uh get under your skin yeah. um, we are biologically evolved to attach and our biology doesn't play ball when we're trying to just forget <laughs> you know it's yeah. like trying to convince yourself that you're not hungry or that you're not thirsty or that you don't need sleep. Our our bodies don't just uh, say, well, I don't want to dwell in the past. You know, it, it, it sticks with us. And so it just might be one of those things. So part of it is, one, just grieving and, and going through that process, which takes time and takes effort. You actually have to put effort into it, talk about it, feel the feelings, you know, as Berto's saying, create something, what's the meaning of it, go to therapy, reminisce, do all the things that you would do uh, as as there's a loss. Yeah. So there's that. The other thing, the other question here, a lot of people might uh, pose, which is, well, maybe you shouldn't be friends with her. It, a lot of people will say that, it'll be like, if they heard this question, they'd be like, "Well, don't be friends with her if it, if if it if you have hurt and deep feelings when you yeah. see her." Uh, that's uh, you know boundaries. You need to have boundaries. Now, if you want to have quote unquote boundaries, then go for it. If you don't, if if you're if overall you're like, yeah, I want to be friends, but overall it's not a good idea for me, so I'm just going to cut myself off from her because uh, it's too hard to hang out with her, which would be totally normal. And so just because she wants to be friends doesn't mean you have to be friends. Having said all that, there's no right answer to that. Um, even though everyone will probably tell you to not be friends with her life is messy. And sometimes the messy route is the better route. Uh, Being friends with her can facilitate some level of well-being and trust. You can learn that. Well, uh, you know, she's a, she's a good person and, I guess she just wasn't into me. No, no harm, no yeah. foul. Uh, and I, I still get to have at least kind of a relationship with her, which actually makes me feel good. Um, and being friends with her gives me a chance to vent my feelings to her. You know, two years down the line, I get to say, by the way, the way you broke up with me really hurt my feelings. And then she can apologize. You know, there's a lot of opportunity there. But the main thing is, is I would just check in with yourself p- periodically to say, like, is this – are the pros outweighing the cons of this friendship? Because if it's not, then maybe cutting yourself off from that person would be good. Because it's certainly, you know, you'll talk with some people and they will still be friends on Facebook or they'll still be following on Instagram or they'll still be hanging out in the friend group or something. And like I said, that there's pros and cons to that, but there can be really bad cons to that sort of lifestyle yeah. where 
it, just this constant dagger in your side of of the loss. You know, it can be it can be tough. So you know, I just check in with yourself periodically. I gotta say, like I get ghosted. I've gotten ghosted quite a bit now that I think about it from friends that I had girls girls that I was friends with that um, you know we either had some tension or maybe we had you know messed around or something uh, but then at some point they got like a new relationship and it was a serious relationship and then like they didn't trust me to just be friends maybe or whatever so just dropped like a bad habit and it always hurts me so much because this hurts me with guys and girls i don't get like in my head it's hard for me to understand being like friends with someone and sharing experiences and all these things and then one day being like i'm done i don't communicate with this person um so for me cutting someone off would be difficult it, unless it's like and I guess maybe that's the, the threshold, unless it's like really hurting me or, or something like that. But if it's just like, I was friends with you, but be, now out of convenience for my mental state of mind, I'm going to cut off. For me personally, that'd be a little tough. It just happens to be that I've never had to deal with that too much because either people move away or I don't see them again or whatever. So, you know, like in the case of my girlfriend that I was talking about, it was a high school girlfriend. It was like my first real serious in love thing. And and she was so into me. She would write me all these notes and all these love things and just tell me how awesome I was. And, and then when it turned, it turned hard. And it was so ridiculous. I couldn't even get her to sign my yearbook. I never understood why. I was like, hey, uh, yearbooks came. You, you want to sign my yearbook? And she was like, yeah, 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 of course. But I mean, there'll be time for that. Don't worry. I'm like, oh, sure, sure. And then like two days later, hey, I still haven't like, you still haven't signed my yearbook. Do you sign? Oh, that, we'll get to that. Don't worry. Like there'll be plenty of time. Never signed my yearbook. Never signed my yearbook. Why? What did she know? Did she, did she, I, I, it's so bizarre. Like, um, I'll, I'll never forget that. <laughs> and that was like a little micro symptom of like the end but and that stayed with me you know so yeah it's hard it's hard but eventually like eventually you gotta make a choice and if the choice is you're gonna stay friends you gotta be able to deal with it and like refocus if it's too hard if it's too heavy then yeah i guess you have to find a way to transition out of that relationship another email similar from patron ina she writes I'm 26, and my high school boyfriend that I had in high school just recently contacted me asking me how I'm doing. In high school, he dumped me by ghosting me after three years of dating, but I would see him in the hallways, and he would just ignore me. This caused me to be extremely depressed, and it was really hard to get over it for many years. Actual depression. Now that I have moved on and have completely different life, I am getting really triggered by his messages because I had to believe over the years that I was just never going to hear from him again. I believed this so strongly that it's even been hard to wrap my head around the reality that he is now contacting me. I'm afraid that if I ask him questions about why he ghosted me, he'll, he'll blow up at me and reject me all over again, and I might hmm. spiral back into a deep, deep depression. How can I better communicate so we both can learn more th- uh, about each other and heal from the trauma? Berto, what do you think? 
Wow. First of all, as someone who unbelievably and disgustingly ghosted someone, uh, mostly phone-wise, when I was in high school, I feel terrible. I'm sorry. I apologize in, in this person's behalf, on this person's behalf. I am sorry. I'm sorry to the person I did this to. I'm sorry to you. Uh, it's horrible. But um, I would certainly try to draw a boundary, I think, because... Um, I mean, it's one thing if the person wants to like make amends and maybe you want to, if if you're interested in hearing an apology and that might make you like heal from that, you know, I, in my case, uh, my girl, the girlfriend in question who I had ghosted, meaning I was not returning their calls a year later, uh, she swung by my house and she just wanted to let me know that she was, that she had gotten over it that she she basically wanted to tell me off a bit, which was totally in her right to do. She told me, and she wanted to let me know she was engaged to someone. <laughs> um, she was pretty young to be engaged, but whatever. I think that that gave her some closure. It certainly gave me some closure because instead of like years later being like, oh my gosh, I got to find her and apologize. I'm like, nope, I got my chance to apologize. If she never sees me again, I'm sure that that will be perfectly fine with her. Uh, in this case, you know, he never got closure. You never got closure, but that's up to you. I think if, if it's going to do more harm than good for, for him to be at all in your thing, just block him, just ignore it. Just put it aside. That's my thing. Yeah. Uh, other things I'll say is go to therapy because it sounds like it's not just minor, you know, grief that you're experiencing. You're talking about deep, deep depression. I mean, that sounds very concerning. And you're actually using the word trauma, which I'm guessing is purposeful. And so go to therapy because depression can kill people, you know, through through suicide and other kinds of things. So make sure you go to therapy. Uh, the other thing is to say is that you're wise to worry about re-traumatization and be careful because as you head in, if you do communicate with him, uh, there are there is a chance of re-traumatization. Maybe he ghosts you again. Maybe he's mean to you. Maybe he... Uh, tries to start something up with you again and then breaks up with you again. And and it can be re-traumatizing. So, uh, you know, don't just f- fall headlong into communicating with him with, you know, blinders on. The other thing I'll say is that there is an opportunity for healing here. And if you feel up for it, if you're in therapy, if you predict that things might go well, communicating with him might actually produce a lot of wonderful conversations and a wonderful opportunity to heal and a way to express your feelings. Um, the question, the specific, your question, the specific question you're asking is, you know, how do I communicate? What I would recommend is to kind of work in phases where in the beginning, uh, cause a lot of this depends on what his intentions are and what he is up for doing. Uh, what I would, what I would recommend is one talk with your therapist about this cause depression and suicide are a real risk here. And as you do that, maybe consider uh, in the in phase one, it's like, well, if, I, if I'm up for communicating and I predict with my therapist that things will go well enough, let's just, let's just communicate a little bit and let's see what he's up for. Because, you know, if he's up for communicating uh, indefinitely or some, you know, long-term w- manner, then that tells me one thing. But let's say he just wants to 
text with me one or two times and then he's going to ghost me again, then, okay, then I know that. So phase one is like figure out what's going on. And that would be light conversation. You know, just be like, okay, it's been a long, long time. No, see, how's it going? You know, and a little check in. And then if he proves to himself, to you, that you, uh, that he is willing to engage more long-term, phase two would be something like, so I've had a lot of things on my mind over the last number of years that, I don't know, I'd just like to get your perspective on. And and what do you say? So he might say, I don't want to rehash the past. And okay, you know, but if he's up for it, then you say, okay, well, so I have these questions as to, you know, you, you just ghosted me and you... You, you you ignored me in the hallways. I mean, I don't know if that's your perception. Maybe you didn't see it that way, but that's that's how I saw it, and it really hurt my feelings. Uh, you're you're 26 years old now, so it was a long time ago. Uh, what do you, what do you remember happening? You know, now at that point, he might say like, "You're crazy. I don't remember that happening at all. You're doing it all over again, just like in high school. You blame me for it. That's why I ghosted you. Is because you're you're a b word." You know, so be ready for that. And or then he ghosts you because he's afraid of the confrontation, which is a reason why people ghost, which is why Berto ghosted. And but you go into it sort of, well, I don't know what he's going to do. I'm going to throw this out there and maybe he'll ghost me again. So you're preparing yourself with your therapist. But let's say he engages. Okay, now let's go to phase three. Now let's actually be vulnerable and say, so let's let's meet up in person because I want to yell at you for about a good half hour. Uh, and probably 10 times because I'm angry about what you did to me. Depression, one way of looking at depression is anger turned inward and, and not allowed to express itself. And sometimes being angry outward uh, will stave off depression. And being angry directly at the source of your pain is potentially good for your mental health. I don't know. You would talk to your therapist about this. But it is also just just. This guy deserves to be yelled at. Now, it happened 10 years ago. Regardless, he did something that was terrible, and he deserves to be yelled at. <laughs> now, he doesn't deserve to be verbally abused or you know, made to be afraid, but he does deserve to uh, apologize up and down, to know how it affected you, and to be given a chance to apologize from, from his standpoint. So... There can be a lot of healing and a lot of wonderful things that can happen there. Now, getting to you people out there that, you know, right now, people listening, think about everyone you've dumped in the past. You know, Birdo, the woman you ghosted, you know, you, you dumped her. <laughs> what do you need to do to make it right? Because it's not just about us as victims. It's us as perpetrators. What do you need to do? Do you need to reach out to an ex from high school and say, I'm sorry for ghosting you? Do you need to reach out to them and say, I've, you know, I, I was so immature and stupid back then and I'm sorry for what I did? Do you need to be doing that? Or if somehow you strike up a, you know, mild DM situation with an ex, um, and and your ex starts to ask you questions like, why did you ghost me? Do you have an opportunity to apologize? Ethical breaking up with someone involves doing your part to help 
the person you're dumping cope with what's happening to them. The goal, and it's not always possible because there's so many different you know, manifestations of this, but as you head into the process of dumping someone, a lot of people will just be like, well, I told them I dumped, I told them I broke up with them and you know, I, I'm done. I'm, I'm walking away. Well, for you, you've been dealing with the fact that you're going to dump them for six months. When you dump them, now begins their grieving process. And so they were with you while you were going through the grief process unknowingly. And now you, sh- you should do your part to be with them as they, if they want you to. Maybe they don't want you to be a part of their life after you break up with them. But if they do want to interface with you, listen to their anger. Be there for them to explain, no, it, I did love you. I just fell out of love with you three months ago. But for the first three years of our relationship, it was real. It wasn't all a lie. Even though you're saying that, it wasn't. But, but I, I don't know why I fell out of love with you. I just did. Uh, and you might have to say that many, many times to get it through their head. Because the goal is, is you want that ex to walk away from that relationship with the opportunity to have a narrative that the relationship was real and at some point unknown to them, your love turned a corner and that began the hard, difficult process for you to make the decision to break up. And then you broke up partly out of a effort to, because you didn't want to be with that person anymore, but also you, you wanted to altruistically release your partner so that they could date other people. And, it was, it was a good act that you did. It was difficult for you to do, and you feel bad, and you care about that individual. People out there, how many people out there listening have stories about exes that are negative? That person never cared about me. They used me. They never loved me. Well, I'm guessing it's because they broke up with you in a way that did not give you the opportunity to develop a positive narrative of what happened. Now, some people are a-holes and there's just no way around it, but most people aren't. So if you are in a position of breaking up with someone, uh, it might mean enduring them being angry a number of times and being irrational. But once they get through that period, uh, you will have done your duty to help that person recover from a massive loss. And... That is the moral thing to do. You said duty. Next email. Patron Francis from California says, duty, duty, poopy, poopy. No, wait. <laughs> I have a lot of traumas involving my parents that, I, that I've been able to identify and heal from over the years. A part of me feels that I won't be able to let go of lingering resentment until I sit down with my parents and talk it out. But I'm hesitant, but I'm hesitant because, one, my parents have never been communicative with me. And two, they are in their 60s, and I'm worried I will only stress them out by bringing any of this up. What is your opinion on gaining this kind of closure? Berto, the reason why I presented this email to you is because, I don't know, I felt like you'd kind of relate. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I've tried. Uh, I've done a little bit of this with both my mom and my dad. Um with my mom, there was a, we went one time years ago, we went to a lunch, maybe like a decade ago or something, uh, where she, where she talked to me about her leaving me and about the circumstance surrounding that and everything. 
Um, I feel, and maybe it was longer ago. I don't know. It was 15 years ago. I don't know. I felt at the time that this was more therapy therapeutic for her than it was for me because it was sort of like the, the way she presented it was, you know, basically explaining why she felt she had to do it, you know, and then kind of talking about the things she talked with her therapist about and things like that. What did she say? Well, it was all to do with my dad and the fear she had of my dad and essentially that if if she took me, that she was afraid for her life. And, um, you know, maybe. I mean, I guess she did feel that way. Um, it, you know, But no I effort my, to be a part of your life at all? Oh, <laughs> well, she did. It's just it took a while. And she was, you know, it was... <sighs> So, like, do I doubt that she was legitimately scared about my dad? No, I don't doubt that. Uh, do I think she should have, that that relationship did need to end? Yeah. Um, look, and then the other thing is it's really hard to second-guess history. Like, if I hadn't ended up with my dad, things would be very different, and we don't know if it's for the best or not. But what I will say is if I were in the same situation, if I had to leave a painful relationship... Um, I, I feel like I would go to the ends of the earth, even at the peril of my own skin to try to maintain a relationship with my child. Or at least so, try to communicate that you're sorry. You're like, you know, yeah, yeah. she could have called you every day and said, yeah. so by the way, I'm, I'm still with you. I still love you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. you know. You know, little right. Beto, there's there's circumstances yeah. that are out of your control, but right. just so know I, that I, I go to bed every night thinking about you. Like, there's, yeah. she could have lived on the other side of the planet and still called you every day or wrote you letters every day, but she did it. Yeah. Right. So the communication came later and not frequently enough. And yeah, I, 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 I agree with you. Um, so what I haven't had is I haven't had an opportunity... Well, I tried. I tried that time to explain. But it's, you know, my mom has her own... I think she's she's a certain kind of individual. Uh, and I don't think she heard me. <laughs> and now what happens... Uh, oh, and then with my dad, I certainly, for many years and many different ways, tried to have all sorts of different conversations with him. And we did... Uh, and there were times where I definitely let him know in no uncertain terms that he had disappointed me and that he had, you know, kind of derelicted his duty, so to speak. And But still, also with my dad, he's like, he's his own kind of individual. And so when I have a conversation with him about these things, he he's very aware of it and he'll admit it. But that's about it, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, he'll he'll apologize um, so I don't feel like I've ever really gotten closure and maybe it's impossible. I, I do think there's another conversation I need to have with my mom, but there's also, a um, I, I do, I have to do a calculation in my mind about, uh, pain versus the benefit benefits and, and the, the price that I pay for it. Because I actually, I have a good relationship with my mom these days. It's been that way now for the last, uh, decade. Uh, she's very supportive. She's uh, so I, I don't. Know, we have a close relationship now, and 
uh, inevitably me bringing things up to have serious deep conversations where I need to heal it's gonna make that stressed and and so then part of me goes like how much is it worth to me now like I have a comfortable situation and I'm no longer acting out on a on a weekly basis based on my trauma so but you know it's a, it's a t- tough calculation and then with my dad the thing that I regret the most about my dad is that because I support him financially and I have now for I don't know almost my entire adult life and the thing I really regret not understanding not knowing it that no one really I don't know I guess people my aunt tried but I didn't really get it is that when he was much much younger and I was much much younger I could have said no I could have said no I'm sorry you're I love you but you're on your own and that that would have been better for him and then what ended up happening is year after year I would tell myself, well, maybe I could have done that last year, but now it's this year. Or maybe I could have done that five years ago. And so now, you know, he's 75, 76. He's got health problems, all these things. Uh, So now I do the math and I'm like, well, I guess the boat really did finally leave that dock. But I could have done this 10 years ago. And I could, so I always kick myself about that. Um, and I have had those conversations with him, but never to the point where I'm like, you finally get it. And I finally feel free. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I, 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 you could have, you could have, and always can draw that boundary financially with your dad, obviously, yeah. as you know, yeah. but the perspective that I've never heard you say that, that you feel like it would have been better for him if you had not done that. That is not clear because the issues that he faces of which we could really only speculate and we have speculated. I don't think those issues would have gone away miraculously. It's not, his, his issues aren't simply that you've enabled his lack of financial responsibility. There's something deeper that you, yes. he started on this road when he was 50 years old. He he was almost no, old. but I mean, no, 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 no. You started giving him money when he was 50 years old. Oh, oh yeah, uh, even longer than that. Okay, yeah. so so around our age, in his, in his yeah, and it's like at our age. That's so. That's the thing that finally blew my mind. Look, dude, I'm getting. I'll be 50 soon. You're almost 50. Like, but when he was in his 50s, I remember thinking because I was young, I was like. Ah, oh, my dad, he's in his 50s. What could he do? He can't work anymore. What an insane notion. There's people that work into their hundreds. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So so this uh, notion that if you had released him when he was, you know, 47 years old from financial dependence on you would have changed something, I, I don't think it would have. Because the 47-year-old men in Colombia don't just completely give up <laughs> because they're being given money by someone. Like if anything, they're like, okay, well now I got back on my feet. Now I can actually get my career going or I can get some other kind of thing going. There's something deeper there. Personality wise, addiction wise, yep. you know, yep. that is uh, a huge barrier that he just would have transferred, I'm guessing, dependence from you to, to someone else. Like there would have been some other avenue yeah. for him to 
you know, I don't know how to phrase it, but sustain his right. sort of uh, defenses, let's just say. So what, on whatever the one hand, those were. Right. So on the one hand, you're totally right. And in fact, that's what did happen initially is that he was dependent on a lot of other people and he transferred a lot of that dependency to me because before I was able to help him, I was a teenager. I didn't have money. Right. Uh, he had other avenues. He, first of all, he lived with my grandma, his mom. So he had no rent to pay. He, and then he borrowed money from everyone. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. The problems were there. They were probably nearly insurmountable, whatever, who knows. But there are a couple things. Number one, like it's it still, it drained me of resources for all this time. Yeah. Number one. Number two, it, it's been painful. So, you know, nowadays I'm in a much better place financially and all these things. So now it's like, it, it, let, let me put it this way. If it had started now, like we're in the last five years, like my dad got old. Now I need to like, of course, like I'm going to help my dad. What's going on? You know? Um, but, but I guess what it is, is that psychologically, I thought there was no choice that I had no choice. And in fact, I remember having a conversation with my friend from Colombia, and he's like, well, of course you got to help your dad. You, you owe it to your parents. And, and there, there is that notion like, well, they give us life and, and look, I'm very grateful for my dad for the few years that he, I think gave me some tools that I do love and enjoy having in my life. But still. Here's the proof that some tough love was helpful. Because even though I did start supporting him, there came a point where I did finally draw, draw a line. And I said, uh, Papa, I said, Dad, look, I'm, I'm paying this and I'm paying that. I don't send you any more money. Because he, he, would, he, would, he would say like, oh, this other thing, can you send me? And, and I finally said, no. I, pay my, I send money directly to my aunt for the rent. And I send you this money. And that's it. And if you need more money, you need to start saving the money I send you, which is more than enough. Like he makes well above minimum wage. Over, like, so I had to finally, and, and you know what? It took a long ass time, but he finally started saving money and not wasting all his money. And these days, now over the last uh, maybe decade or eight years or something, he finally has savings. And of course, it's all my money, but like, great, like he's not wasting it, you know? Um, so anyways, a little bit of tough love or drawing some line did end up being helpful. Maybe no help at all is also not the answer, right? Like, sorry, dad, I know you're dying on the streets. There's nothing I can do. Okay, fine. But, but there are boundaries. And I, I think I just, I wish I had had better tools when I was younger to know where, how does one draw a boundary and have, and know, understand that no, a 50 year old a 60-year-old is not helpless. As an example, his older brother, my uncle, is, is older than him. And I remember when I finally put this together, I'm sitting there having a conversation with my dad years ago about money he needs and things. And I'm thinking, ah, it sucks, but what is he going to do? And then the next minute we go to visit my uncle, who's just getting back from working on his farm, like working hard work, like pulling potatoes out of the ground, older than my... I'm like, wait a minute. Kind of like I'm being used here in that sense, you know, like I'm being convinced of a reality that's not real. Of course you can work. Anyways, so I have I have issues still with that. And um, there'll be things that probably will never get full closure 
um, I've just been lucky that I did go to therapy and I have this podcast and I, and I have had some conversations. So I, I've been able to make it so that at least these traumas don't constantly derail me to the point of extinction like they were threatening to 12 years ago, 15 well, years ago. One of the messages that was given to you as a young person was love is not unconditional and that hmm. at any point yeah. your parents can just say, nope, you're yeah. done. I don't, I don't love you enough, you know? <laughs> That's so true, yeah. And so as you're an adult, it's not, it's not like those issues just go away. It's not like those neurons just disappear. The yeah. desire right. for parental love and security is... Um, you know, greater than it is for someone who's raised well, you know? And so yeah. you not only have made a deal with the devil uh, with your dad by saying, well, if I give him money, it'll at least preserve some level of love and acceptance. He'll have to be nice to me. Um, not that he wouldn't have necessarily, but it's not that yeah, you that's could, the subconscious, but it's not like math. you could know that for sure, you yeah. know, given the way your mom dealt with you. Um, but you've also made a deal with the devil with your mom in that you have said, well, pros and cons. I, I want a relationship with my mom that isn't horrible because when you were, you know, and I was there when you were hitting your mom's relationship head on and like yeah you you're not lying that every week it was a new drama and yeah and you would you would just talk for this is before the podcast you would just talk for hours late at night you'd just be like and then and and i'd i'd never and I probably never have seen you so right dysregulated you know yeah. uh that the deep anger and um rage yeah. that you had towards her and yeah. this this the way you would recount these conversations it was like two angry spouses just screaming at each other kind of a thing and yep. and so you make a deal with the devil and you say well uh, i can't get everything i want which is my mom to apologize to me ten thousand times that's not going to you know heartfelt from yeah. a place of a, a mother who was actually apologizing to her child that is unidirectional and you know just un uh, undeniable unconditional surrender of I'm sorry, you know, um, you're not going to get that. You're, you're not going to get, um, her really acknowledging what happened. You're not going to get a chance to vent your feelings, but you are going to get some closeness, something that you didn't have when you were 10, you know, with That's her. Right. Um, so, you know, those, sometimes those are the sacrifices you make to yeah. get through this thing called life. Right. Which means forever. That's a mighty long time. Getting to Patron Francis's specific question here is, you know, uh, she wants to have it out with her parents, uh, but she says it because her parents have never been very communicative. So to address that is like, yeah. So the way you head into that is, like I was saying with a previous uh, patron, is you head into it because I've actually talked with a lot of clients about this and obviously go to a therapist to talk about this, but there's this thing called um, Williamson's model of differentiation and personal power, which is that you, uh, you start by interviewing your parents just 
like in a very like a documentary kind of style. You just you head in head into so your overall goal is to heal and to differentiate and to find your own power and your own assertiveness and and that's the end goal but you can't get there without going through the steps and step one is you engage your parents in asking them very mundane questions like i just want to know more about your life you know what was it like when you're growing up i never knew what it was like uh, what was your dad like? What was your mom like? What was your siblings like? And you really come across very certainly that you are not trying to dig up any dirt and you're not trying to catch them on any problems and you're not there to confront them about their bad parenting. Because if, you, if you're any of those things for the uncommunicative parents, they're going to clam up and they're not going to want to talk to you. So, so you just ask them about your life. So this does two things. One is it builds trust, which allows you to maybe ask them more difficult questions down the line. But the other thing is, is you might not have to ask those questions because as they talk about their life, they sometimes will answer questions that you didn't even know you had. You know, you start, you, you learn about their, their childhood and you're like, oh, I know why you're like this now. You know, like Berto with your mom and dad, I'm guessing you do know something about their childhood. Once you start to learn those things, even without them apologizing or explaining to you, you might be like, oh, I, I know why you abandoned me. It's because your parents abandoned you when you were a kid or you were abused or, you know, something along those lines. Now I know why you're so cold with me because no one ever was warm with you. And, you know, it's not personal to me. It's just you're just generally not warm because no one was warm to you growing up, that kind of thing. And so sometimes just by asking and creating a space where you're gathering information about your parents' life and how they see their childhood in particular, sometimes that's, that's all you need. But like I said, if it builds a close relationship where your parents actually trust you down the line, you can start asking, so why did you leave me? You know, the way Berto did, you know. By, by the way, I, uh, to, to your point, uh, that, that actually was really helpful. Uh, I didn't know this system. Like I wasn't doing this really methodically. I, I, I wish I had known that. But uh, with both my mom and my dad, I did learn things that helped help me um, have some empathy for where they came from and therefore understand a little bit better. Of course, you know, it doesn't make everything better and it doesn't necessarily excuse things. But uh, so, for example, with my mom, I learned that, you know, she had, she she was sent to a, like a convent school kind of thing, essentially like a what are those calls? The, the like where she, she was not living with her parents, you know, boarding like school, a boarding school with nuns. Yeah. And for apparently a long time of her when she was young and wow. Yeah. Like, can you imagine? Yeah. That's abandonment. That's right. And so, uh, so that was one thing. And there was other things I learned that I don't, I don't want to air on the air, but basically help me explain why she would f- have difficulty developing closeness with someone um and then my dad i learned uh, a couple of years ago he was telling me again i wasn't trying to but we were having a conversation and i learned that he had been severely bullied for years in the neighborhood he lived in and that explained a lot of things to me i mean it didn't explain everything of course but but i'm like oh my gosh he right lives and with yeah and 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 i don't know if this is your experience Bruno, so tell me but on the surface, it just sounds kind of like, well, whatever. You just learned some detail about your parents. It's interesting, you know, and it explains yeah. a few things. Yeah, interesting. But what I find is that knowing that information and really 
hearing them embody the difficulty of it, it completely rewrites history for you, which which changes your emotional depths. (laughs) It's not just insight. It's complete paradigm shift of who you are, who your dad is, why your dad was the way he was, what your relationship was, who you are as a human being. You, through revelations like that, you can actually change the story from my dad, you know, I am an abandonable person, meaning that I am not a good kid. I'm not a good person. That's why my parents left me, even though intellectually I know that's not really true. To change, you know, from that deep sense to I'm a good enough person who was raised by broken parents who who yeah. tried really hard and yeah. did and did a lot better than what they went through. Yeah. yeah. And I feel warm inside. I feel better about myself. I, you know, those kinds that that's what I've seen happen for people. It's it's not just intellectual detail. It is transformational and healing to to hear that information from them. That's how I felt about even just those two things. And there's, there's been others, but absolutely. And, and, you know, it's kind of a universal lesson. A lot of times you emphasize empathy as a, as a thing to have. And it really is true. Like um, Sam Harris actually talks about this a, a lot too, is this idea that if we, if we totally uh, treat others as things and we don't understand that they come from a certain place and they have a history... It's really easy to be to hate and to not understand and to have no excuses and to be uncompromising. And then as soon as you start actually adding backdrops and context and here's and, and of course again, this doesn't mean you can break the law. It doesn't mean that you're gonna excuse certain kinds of things. It doesn't mean we don't put people away that need to be put away, all those things. But it's really more about understanding and that that by that understanding it's almost like, uh, it, it, like you said, it changes the story completely. It changes the story from a monster came into our village and took all the food and attacked us into like, oh, there was this person that was severely traumatized from war and they came into our town and, you know, they, had, they acted out and now unfortunately they're in a mental institution. But like, but like, it's like a very different story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad for you in that way. And there's a whole... Yeah version of group therapy that is centered around this uh, put forth by, I can't remember his uh, first name, Donald Williamson. Donald Williamson, Personal Power. He published a book in the 90s that I used to actually used to uh, assign to my students. He's from, he's actually from, from out where you live, Berto, actually. Oh, really? Um, the other question here, you know, that you say is, you say they're in their 60s and I'm worried that I'll only stress them out by bringing any of this up. I have no idea what this means. I mean, but so many people say stuff like this. What do you think? Bringing up, you know, your life and that you matter is going to cause a stroke. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. <laughs> um, uh, now, if they're, you know, all if they don't exercise and they're prone to strokes and they're not putting it and they have high blood pressure. And then you run up and scare them and say like, I want to talk about our history. And yeah, I suppose under extremely, you know, particular circumstances, your conversation with your parents could be the final straw that would hurt them at their frail age. But 
having emotional conversations is not a is not a reason that someone people die. You know, there's no births. You know, there's no death certificate that says uh, reason of death. Uh, daughter asked personal questions. You know what I mean? It's just not going to happen. So, so don't, I don't know. I've seen a lot of headstones like that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, now, of course, I can't know that for sure. I'm not a biologist, but it, it, I hear this a lot, and this is a. a a defense that is often propagated through families, which is don't stress out your parents. They're old. And this is all just an effort for status quo of don't rock the boat. You don't matter uh, to, to assert yourself is to harm other people. And that is just not true. You have the right to say whatever you want to say. You have the right to, to express whatever you want to express to your parents and uh, and a lot of parents want it to happen. Think of the the potentials here. One, if you do it right, you know you don't just run up on them and yell at them. If you actually take the time to ask the questions about the history, and then you slowly start going down that road, like with Berto, the relationships will be better, which is actually going to help them be less fragile physically moving forward. And emotionally, they're looking for this. Now, it's not without its trials and tribulations but you go through it enough again with therapist guidance and five years down the road there could be wonderful things that can happen from it and one of the hundred wonderful things that happens is that you get an opportunity to voice your feelings and be heard and validated now maybe you won't be validated but you know you'll get a chance to 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 get your voice out there right um so just the the fact that they're in their 60s in a sense, me and Umberto are almost in our 60s. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't think that when we're in our 60s, we're going to be so fragile that someone can't confront us on something. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> speaking it's, of that, dude, speaking of that, uh, I just found out yesterday that two nights ago, maybe three nights ago now, Liti, my grandma that you met, yeah, she took a fall. Oh, she's like 93 or something. She's 93, dude. Yeah. So here, this is super scary. Yeah. Can you imagine? Here's what happened. It was Well, their house has night. like 10 stories. And, and it's all like when you get down, like the stairs are like marble stairs with that land yeah. on hard. Okay. It was 11 o'clock at night. For some reason, she doesn't remember. She was going downstairs and she came downstairs and luckily it was the last step, the last step, but she missed the last step. Oh. Fell forward, hit her head against like the part of the door. Uh, but here's the really brutal part. She lost consciousness. And she was lying there with a deep cut in her head, pooling blood. And thank goodness, for some bizarre reason, my grandpa, who normally is fast asleep at that time, he heard the, the TV was still on. So, by the way, who knows how long it had been be- between when she fell. And so, he went downstairs to see what's up. And he found her there. Imagine finding your 93-year-old wife l- unconscious. In a, well, you don't even know. Like, there's a pool of blood in the middle of the night. Oh, my God. So, he started screaming for help and all these things. And, you know, my grandpa is even older. And he gets confused. And all. Oh, my gosh. Luckily... Like, just so luckily, 
Uh, they called my uh, the the what do you call it? the watch people in the neighborhood because there's people that watch the neighborhood. They were able to see that my grandpa was trying to get into the street to call a cab, and they were able to be like, "What happened? What happened?" So they they called my aunt, and for some bizarre other stroke of luck, luck, even though her phone was off or the the sound was off, she woke up because of the light, and then she was able to like realize that they had to go over immediately. They took her to a clinic. She again. For some crazy stroke of luck, didn't break anything, didn't have any concussion, and, well, and then she was back at home yesterday. She had a concussion. It just well, sorry, she didn't have any. Like they did all her, they did all the checks, and she was well enough that they didn't have to hospitalize her. Right. And they sent her home, and she and I talked to her yesterday, and she's in a ton of pain because she's sore, but she didn't break anything. Oh my god. Oh my gosh, dude. You know. <laughs> well, because it's just the two of them there, right? Yeah, so that's a, that's over. This is the last. The, we already were like, this is ridiculous. It's just that she kept refusing help. This is over. It's now we are absolutely putting a full time. But I can see it uh, on one person. level because yeah. she, if you just you know looked watched her for a couple hours as she makes dinner for fifteen people in her large you know kitchen, you'd think. Eh, 65 you know maybe 70 not 93 so there's that and your yeah that's true and your grandfather uh looks spry and you know looks able but his brain is you know yeah not doing so well but he's happy all the time and yeah so if from the looks of it 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 always looks like yeah you know they can do it but yeah you get a story so what what's what's going to happen uh, we are getting a full-time employee. Uh, a, a gal They're not moving in with you? <laughs> moving them up from Columbia? No, I wish that I could visit them right now. That's the other thing is I can't, even if something happened right now, like I can't travel to Columbia right this second. Right. This is crazy. So anyway, so we're going to get a full-time pl- person. Uh, she's going to be COVID tested and she's going to live there. And, you know. What about that the- one servant that they have? Yeah, she she's just not able to be there the whole time. She's got a family in a different place and things uh-huh. like that. So, yeah. Kind of like Roma. Yeah. That terrible movie. <laughs> you. <laughs> well, everyone, comment below. What do you think about what we're saying? Or go to content, go to uh our website, fill out the email form. Let us know We've talked about a lot of things. <laughs> we did. Covered a lot of ground. So, yeah. Uh, racist Immigrants, Birdo's YouTube channel, Star Wars Episode Nine, writing music, exes, being friends with your exes, uh, your ex comes out of the woodwork, breaking up in an ethical way, being angry at your parents. Uh, you got to have at least one thought on one of those things. So... Comment below. Let us know what's going on. And everyone out there, please take care of yourself. And please, for the love of God, do not fall downstairs. Because you deserve it. 